Thanks to everybody for all your kind words regarding round one with Brian Curran. But it's not over. I hope you're ready for round two with the Colonel. Let's go. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drop, the puck Just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm -hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Hey everybody, welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. This is part two of my conversation with Brian Kern. I'd like to thank everyone for their kind words regarding part one, and I hope that part two delivers and you enjoy it just as much. So, as always, I have to start with a few messages, a few of the same messages. Uh, if you are listening to the show for the first time, thank you, welcome, uh, happy to have you here. Uh, I hope you enjoy the ride, and if you're a return listener, thank you for keep coming back. Is that, I, I never know if that's the way to say it. Thank you. Thank you that you keep coming back. I don't know, but you get the point. Thanks again for returning. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay. If you do enjoy the show, could you please subscribe to it on whatever platform you're listening to? If you subscribe to it, you will get the content as soon as it's published. For instance, today's Sunday. If you subscribe to this, you can listen to this tonight, Sunday night, when it's published. If you're not a subscriber, you're going to hear it at some point on Monday. And to be honest with you, I don't know how Apple does their things, because there are certain times where I'll publish the episode 5 p.m. on a Sunday, and, and uh, when I check at 11 a.m. on a Monday, it's there. Sometimes it's not there. Sometimes it's not there till like 5 p.m. I don't understand how they do it, but if you enjoy the content, why not subscribe? You'll get the episode as soon as it's published, and uh, this way you are ahead of the game. You're ahead of the non-subscribers, and isn't that the best way to be? Be a part of the cool kids' table. Subscribe to the show and uh, be ahead of the game. Also, uh, if you could like it, rate it, review it, doesn't have to be a book. It could be one word. It could be ten words. It could be a few sentences. But all of this stuff goes into whatever algorithm they have where I, I'll appear in more searches for hockey. Uh, again, way above my pay grade. I don't know. But I know that if you like the show, if you rate the show, if you review the show, it helps the show. And um, that's all I ask. Now help the show out. Let, let's make this as big as possible. Okay? Uh, if you're on social media, on Twitter, which is the platform I use the most, uh, we have two Twitter accounts. I say we, I mean I. Uh, my personal account is at Joe underscore Lozito. 
And the Twitter account for the show is at Kali Sinbin Pod. Now, when I first started the uh, the show on the Kali Sinbin Pod Twitter, I said once I hit 500 followers, I was going to do a book giveaway. As some of you may or may not know, uh, I did write a book a few years ago. Uh, it's not about hockey fights. It's about uh, mostly about the incident that happened on the subway where I was stabbed seven times by a spree killer while two pussy cops hid for their life and didn't do anything. And later I sued the city and I got screwed once again. This gives you all the details to that story. I think it's a pretty good book. It's written from the heart. Uh, it's not a hard book to read. I wrote it uh, as for someone that I want to keep your interest. If I hit you with a lot of legal mumbo jumbo, that's way above certain people's heads, myself included. It's boring to me. Uh, I try to make it for the common person, for the average guy, the average hardworking person. And uh, the comments that I've heard about the book, that's one of the things that people say the most. It's that it's an easy read and it keeps it interesting. And uh, if you've read the book already, I thank you. Uh, if you haven't read the book yet, uh, on Monday, which could be today when you're listening to this, uh, I finally hit 500 followers. I thank everybody for following. I'll be doing uh, a drawing for the book, uh, a random listener, a uh, random follower on the Kali Sinbin Pod account. Uh, will win a copy of the book. If you want it signed, you'll have to let me know. If you don't want it signed, that's fine too. Uh, maybe when you're done reading it, you want to throw it on eBay. I have no idea, but uh, I'm happy to sign it if you're interested. So look for that on Monday. That's when the drawing will occur. Once again, Twitter, at Joe underscore Lozito, and at Kali Sinbin Pod for the Twitter account for the show. Also, the show has a page on Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast. Definitely give the page a like. You'll see all the content I post there. Uh, I do Islander Enforcers birthdays. Uh, lately, I've been posting uh, the, the uh, Regina Leader post. Uh, used to do a uh, best of the West. Uh, well, best of the WHL. Uh, the Regina paper had the best of the East. There was a paper that did the best of the West. I don't remember which one that was. Uh, but I don't have any of the best of the West. I've been... Uh, putting on Facebook and Twitter uh, the best of the East poll results for the best fighter. Plenty of ex-Islander players on there. Uh, and if you're not, if you don't like the Facebook page, you've been missing that amazing content. So what's the harm? I mean, think about the groups that you're a part of on Facebook. Think about the pages that you liked on Facebook that you don't even care about. And you're listening to the show, you may as well go like the page. I mean, really, come on. Am I lying? You know I'm not. Uh, Instagram. As I always say, I have an Instagram. It's a personal Instagram page, but basically it's an Instagram for the show. It's Joseph underscore Lozito. So um, give me a follow on Instagram. I will follow you back. Same thing on Twitter. Uh, follow me. I'll follow you back. Uh, as you are well aware of the last, from the last few weeks of my intros, the Coliseum Chronicles, the Penalty Box merchandise store is up and running the website for Coliseum Chronicles merchandise is teespring.com slash stores slash Coliseum hyphen Chronicles hyphen merch. Just go to the, uh, to the episode description, the current episode that you're listening to. There is a link to the store. Go on my social media. There are links to the store. There's some really great merchandise on there. Uh, if you're like we are here on Long Island right now, it's going to be 90 degrees today. It's going to be 90 degrees tomorrow. What better time to pick up a Coliseum Chronicles tank top? 
Uh, there are tank tops for men and women. Uh, definitely grab one. Grab one for your lady. If you're a lady listening to the show, thank you. Grab a tank top for your man. Um, your partner, I'm not judging. Uh, just grab grab a, uh, an item. Uh, have a baby. Buy a onesie. Uh, everyone wears socks. Maybe not in the summer, but you need socks for the winter and the fall. Buy some Coliseum Chronicle socks. Whatever you need, there is something in that store for you. Okay, you need a tote bag. It's there. Um, you need. I, I mean, who doesn't need a Coliseum Chronicles flag in their life? I know I did. I bought one. You know you want one. But seriously, just check out the merchandise. If you buy anything, that would be great. I appreciate it. Uh, again, the fact that I've had so many people send me pictures of them wearing the shirt. Uh, it's amazing. Thank you to everyone who's purchased one so far. You guys are the best. Um, so the logo that's on the merchandise was done by Joe Marisich. He's the local artist here on Long Island. Uh, you're familiar with his work by now, I'm sure. If not before, he did my logo. Uh, he always has lots of good Mets content and Jets content and Islanders content. Uh, I think he's, uh, he's going crazy right now with baseball starting up again. He's putting out a lot of Mets stuff. And I'm sure next week with the Islanders coming back, he's going to uh, do a lot of Islanders stuff. So uh, check Joe out at GraphicsJoker on Twitter. G-R-A-F-I-X-J-O-K-E-R. Or you can hit him up at LoudEgg.com. Uh, hire Joe for some stuff. The guy's uh, amazingly talented. And, um, you know, you won't regret it. If you're listening to my show, there are a few shows that you also may like. Uh, Fourth Line Voice, that is Darren. He is the uh, OG of the Enforcer podcast game. Darren just had Jeff Odgers on. And uh, he had him on. I think that episode was published on Wednesday. We were away for a week, so I am way behind on my podcast uh, listening. And I actually just started the Jeff Odgers show today. Uh, that one I am anxious to dive into. Uh, I think for a lot of years, Jeff, well, not a lot of years, Link wasn't there for too long, but I think in the beginning, Jeff took a backseat to Link Gates, and um, I never, you know, Jeff is a warrior. Jeff really shouldn't have taken a backseat to anybody, to be honest. Uh, I met Jeff once, super guy, really humble guy. I mean, just one of the easiest guys to, that you could ever root for, and he's tough as fuck, so uh, give the fourth line voice a listen. Give the Jeff Rogers episode a listen. I'm I'm touting this episode, and I'm only about 10 minutes in. I know it's awesome. Um, definitely give it a listen. Also, Fourth Line Voice uh, YouTube channel, uh, over 2,000 fights. And like I always say, if you've ever watched a fight on YouTube, it's probably the Fourth Line Voice channel. Also, Bucket Drop Podcast with Bobby Longgrass. Uh, last two episodes that he put out were the, show, was, were the episodes that uh, he did with me. The top 10 Islander Enforcers. The latest episode that he put out is the top 10 ECHL Enforcers from the mid-90s through the 2000s with ECHL Hall of Famer Alain Sirwa. I hope I said your last name right, Alan. Uh, but I haven't listened to that one yet. Again, I'm behind. Uh, I'm going to definitely catch up this week. I'm anxious to listen uh, listen to that one. And uh, the birthday boy, Alec Olin Salen, the Five for Fighting podcast. Uh, also put out his Chris McAllister episode, and also I have not had time to listen yet. I have a lot of catching up to do this week, uh, but I'm sure it's an amazing episode. I can't wait to listen. Also check out Alex Enforcer Appreciation page on Facebook. As I've said a million times, there is so much garbage on Facebook. The Enforcer Appreciation page is not that. It is a lot of fun, 
and it takes your mind off a lot of the real life shit that's going on in the world today so uh, why don't you check out the enforcer appreciation page on facebook give it a like and just follow along so as i've said uh this last week uh we went away for a few days my first time up at lake george which is funny for a lot of people i know a lot of people go up there every year they really enjoy it uh we went up there for a few days and we had a great time so um i would highly recommend anyone that can get up there even in this covid world that we live in right now we were able to do a lot of things and um i can recommend lake george and i'm sure we barely scratched the surface but it's definitely uh, it was definitely a fun place it was definitely great to get away get out of this uh you know the muck and everything that is real life um you know like i said if you're looking for a place to go and it's uh within driving distance uh, i would definitely recommend lake george for you one of the things though i will say which kind of ties into uh the world right now is um while we were up there we had a couple of days that uh, the weather wasn't supposed to be that great of course it turned out it was fine uh so we made alternate plans to do some things in uh, uh town close towns that maybe were indoor things and i gotta tell you driving on the uh interstate 87 up there and uh you know they everyone has the they have the digital signs on the highway and everywhere you go the digital signs are like wear a mask COVID 19 is still a threat you know do this do this and all i could think of was they live and if you haven't seen they live obviously back in the day i saw it because one of my heroes from my childhood roddy piper starred in that movie so i would have i mean i saw hell comes to Frogtown too so uh but they live is actually a really good movie and at the time it was it sort of seemed a little far-fetched but if you watch it now holy shit does it really make a lot of sense and that's all i could think about as we were driving up and down the interstate and i'm seeing these signs about wear a mask do this do this uh so it was definitely interesting and if you haven't watched they live it really is a classic movie uh definitely check it out but i i just like i said i couldn't help but think about it every time i uh i saw those uh saw those signs <clears throat> excuse me another thing i want to talk about um baseball so the big thing now are the players kneeling uh either before the anthem or during the anthem and it, everyone's up in arms about this it's like when they did it in the nfl um before I even touch on that, I'm beginning to think I'm getting a little too old for baseball. Um, the last two, two, three, four years, my interest has really waned. And I, I think it's Major League Baseball. I don't know exactly what it is, um, but I just, I really don't seem to care too much anymore. So this week, uh, Major League Baseball came back. It was the first sport of the sports that I follow. Uh team sports anyway uh to come back and everyone was really excited here in new york everyone was pumped about uh the exhibition games that the yankees were playing the mets and i i couldn't give a shit um but i watched some of them my wife is a yankees fan so we were watching them and uh, i just couldn't care I, I just couldn't care less you know and then the season opened the other day and the mets are playing the braves and i'm watching the games and i just i i can't explain what it is I just feel this disconnect with with the game with baseball. I don't know why, but it's it's been going on now for several years. I just I can't place it. 
I don't know. Uh, but I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too old for Major League Baseball. Now, I love minor league baseball. Uh, when we lived in Philadelphia and the few years that we lived in New Jersey, I became very fond of the Atlantic League and the Somerset Patriots. Uh, I would definitely go to uh, an Atlantic Atlantic League game. Uh, we have the Ducks out here on Long Island. I would definitely do that. Um, I, but it, and even uh, it doesn't have to be independent ball. It could be any uh, affiliated minor league ball. I, I would definitely go to. But I don't know. I, I don't know what it is about Major League Baseball. I I don't want to say well it's the salaries uh, because the salaries have been out of control for a while now. So it, it's not that. I just. I don't know what it is, but I think maybe I'm too old for Major League Baseball. Uh, but I, I must say it's been somewhat entertaining the last few days reading social media and the people uh, going on and on about the kneeling and the disrespect and the uh, peaceful protest. It's just people, listen, here's the thing. If you are okay with the kneeling, be okay with the kneeling. And if you're not okay with the kneeling, don't be okay with the kneeling. But again, this is what I'm trying to, to convince you people of. You're not going to change anyone's mind. So when you fight with people who have a different opinion than you have, all you're doing is wasting your time. Nobody is changing their mind. This country has, in my lifetime, I have never seen... A country more divided over important things and unimportant things in my life. But one thing that I see is that the arguing is just out of control. And there's no more polite discourse. There's no more difference of opinion where you just agree to disagree. It's just all out fighting. So for those of you who find it disrespectful, I, I'm okay with that. And for those of you who say, well, it's a peaceful protest... I'm okay with that too. But but why fight? Why argue with someone that differs that differs from your opinion? You're not changing anyone's mind. All you're doing is wasting your time, probably agitating yourself and getting nowhere. So stop. Just stop. If you love it, love it. If you hate it, hate it. But you're not getting anywhere by arguing. And it, it, it just blows my mind. It just blows my mind. And I just want to reiterate, me saying I'm too old for baseball and how my interest is waning has nothing to do with the kneeling. This started long before anyone ever knelt or before uh, it was even a thing. Uh, it has nothing to do with it. Um, and actually, the Braves, which are my favorite team, are actually have a really good young team, so they're probably going to be pretty good for a few years now. And even that is not holding my interest. So, uh, But I had to talk about the kneeling thing because um, it, it, the arguing is just stupid. Only because you're not changing anyone's mind. Finally, here, here's a, a question for everybody. I love coffee. I drink coffee like it's going out of style. Uh, you know, maybe not so much in the summer, but I love coffee. And I, when I was younger... My dad worked for private sanitation, and it was always cool going to work with him, driving in the big 18-wheeler and the big trucks and everything. And um, I never forget, like, when we would pick up the containers, bring them to the dump and everything. It always seemed like we were stopping for coffee. I've been drinking coffee since a very young age. And I'd see these guys, and they'd have the cup with the plastic top on, and they're basically shaking the cup like, uh, you know, with all the force that they have mixing it up and everything and not a drop went anywhere 
went anywhere. It was like they were shaking it like there was no tomorrow. Then they'd pop the top, and it was the perfect coffee. And I remember doing that myself, obviously with not the same vigor, let's say, as a grown man. I may have been eight or nine years old. Um, but I remember doing it, and I remember, Jesus, these are like the most amazing tops or the most amazing cups because you didn't spill a drop. Well, nowadays, when I go to Dunkin' Donuts, let's say, and I buy my coffee, I always mix it. I like to make I don't like to shake it because it goes everywhere. And what I've also found is when I take the top off to stir it, then I put the top back on and I start drinking it, it drips. I, how do I stop this? Someone help me. I'm obviously doing something wrong. I'm obviously a coffee lid spaz that I must be doing something wrong. Now, I am fully aware that I always say things were better back in the day. So I am fully on board with the fact that coffee cups and coffee cup lids were better back in the day. I am completely on board with that, and I will totally accept that as an explanation. But for those of you who somehow can stir their coffee and put the lid on and not have a drop uh, come out of the cup, let me know how you do it because I thought it was as simple as stirring my coffee and putting the top on and, you know, not that you hear a click, but you feel it click into the groove and then you're good to go. But apparently that's not it. And it might have something to do with these, with the, the paper cups now that, uh, you know, now you can't have styrofoam anymore. So maybe it's the paper cups that could be the culprit. Uh, but I don't know. I, I have no idea. Uh, I wanted to hit hit you with something that maybe wasn't as serious as a lot of the nonsense that's going on. Uh, so I figured if anyone could help me with my coffee cup dilemma, I'd really appreciate that. Because all I think about is back in the day, pulling up to the dump, maybe the, before the dump. They got the coffee truck outside. And you got all these truckers, uh, you know, buying coffee, shaking it. You know, it's like, uh, you know, manly man thing and everything. I hope that doesn't offend people. You know, I know... Some people are very offended by toxic masculinity. God forbid a man is a man. Uh, but they're shaking their coffee and, and nothing's coming out. And then they're drinking it and everything's great. And nowadays, now that everything's a little softer and everything like that. And you can't have styrofoam. You can't have this. You know, maybe the problem is me. I don't know. But uh, I wanted to bring a little levity to the uh, seriousness of the stuff that I've already spoken about. So... Anyway, I believe that is going to be my rant for this week, and uh, I will leave it at that. Ladies and gentlemen, please be safe out there. We're still in the middle of this fucking COVID bullshit. That's how you know the country's divided. We have a disease, and I know certain people say, uh, well, it's serious, and certain people say, well, it's not as serious as you think it is. All I know is it shut down so much of the economy, so much of the country, it's affected so many people, yet our fucking politicians can't agree on shit. So that just goes to show you how fucked politics is. You have a disease out there that's killing any number of people, and these assholes still can't agree on anything regarding it. So the politicians can kiss my ass, especially the politicians who are holding up the extra $600 on employment. I believe that's going to be rectified tomorrow or they're going to unveil some plan about it tomorrow, Monday. Uh, hopefully people like myself who want to go back to work and can't go back to work but need that extra $600 to just tread water like we've been doing 
that that will continue to go on in some way, shape, or form. Uh, asshole politicians, we don't all work at Walmart. We don't all work at uh, Target or a gas station where we're, we're living the high life on this extra $600 a week. Some of us need that money to support our family because the job that we have won't open because of another politician in New York, let's say, Governor Cuomo, who everyone seems to be in love with. But he's the one that's keeping my job closed. So that extra 600 will come in handy. But asshole politicians, get your shit together. Uh, if you fuckers can't agree on something while there's a pandemic going around, then I think all hope is lost for the world. But, you know, prove me wrong. But anyway, folks, you came here to listen to part two of my interview with the Colonel, Brian Kern. Uh, we pick up, we left off episode... Uh, Episode 24, Part 1. We left off at the end of Brian's first season with the Islanders. We're going to pick up with his second season with the Islanders, the start of his second season, and we carry that on from that season to his time as a coach and what he's doing now. I hope you people enjoy it. Have a great week, everyone, and stay safe. Following season with the Islanders, um, I don't know how many games you guys actually played together, but they did actually address uh, the toughness issue. Uh, I know that uh, Mick Fakoda, I believe, had played some games this year. I don't know um, if he played when when you were injured or not. No. Okay. Um, pre- I do, Mick. I do, Mick. Yeah. Uh, I know you were, I think you were together with him in Springfield that season. Yeah. If I'm not yeah. mistaken. Right. But uh, in the preseason, uh, you fought two veteran guys on the Rangers. One of them didn't stick. He was there just for the preseason. He ended up going to Boston, and that's Willie Plett. You fought uh, Willie Plett and Jeff Brubaker, I believe, in the same game at the Garden. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. That's the one. It was Jeff Brubaker. I went into the bench. Okay. Yeah, Jeff, 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 I think. Jeff is the one that hit me off their bench. Okay. And then I went into their bench. Okay. Uh, and Willie, again, I think, if I'm not mistaken, and, and I could be, I, I think... Uh, Willie was a gamer all day long. Yeah. Uh, but I think I, I, I was, he was near the end of his career. At that point, definitely, yes. Yeah, yeah and I was at, you know, in, in, the, in the beginning, basically. Yeah. Well, middle of my career, kind of. Um, again, Willie, that wasn't much. Right. No, he, no. He, you know, it wasn't much of anything. Uh, the one into the bench, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, I enjoyed that. Like, and you laugh and you sit there and you go, did I actually do that? In yeah. freaking life? How stupid was I? Oh, uh, and I kind of remember getting hit by a few punches here and there. Uh, and I actually, I, I've known Jeff for a long time. It's so funny, like years and years and years later, I don't think Jeff and I have ever talked about it. I, I could uh, believe, I could see that. Yeah, it's kind of like no big deal. Yeah, it, it happened. It was entertainment. I, I remember coming out of there, I was getting booed all over and it was awesome. I just love getting booed. I just loved it. Well, yeah, if, it was it made my day. If you're not doing your job, they're not booing you. So you must be yeah, doing something and, right. Yeah, and, and and you know what? New York people, once you're around them for a long time, and I, and I say both the island and the city, right? Um, there, once you understand people, they're they're they're, they're good people. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, they you know they really love their sports. Mm-hmm. They're very protective of their teams. Uh, they love the rivalries. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I think that's, uh, you know, that other times are playing, you know, the guy spitting on me, is that crossing the line? Absolutely. Yeah. Like the way I used to say, you know what, you paid $25 to be an ass or $50 to be an ass. Well, you know what? You're entitled to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will give you one that, that, that that's funny because my dad, my dad had come and my dad's a Western guy, right? And he yeah. was cowboy. I said, dad, uh, you're, you're not wearing the Western, the, the cowboy hat in. So he went up and sat in his seats, and uh, my dad's tougher than hell. Okay. And, and he, uh, there was two, three guys in front of him, and they were calling me a bastard the whole, the whole game, right? Yeah. And we won the game. And uh, my dad, uh, you know, we went out for dinner after the game, my dad and I, and he said, oh, I had some fun tonight, too. And I go, oh, that's great. What happened? And he said, well, there's these three young guys. They were probably in their mid, mid-20s. They were yapping at you the whole game, calling you a bastard. And I said, okay, Pops, what'd you say? And he goes, uh, the guy turned to him and said, uh, the three guys go, you were awfully quiet, sir, or something like that, right? My dad said, uh, yep. And he said, uh, they go, do you have a, a son playing on the team? And he goes, yep. And they, they go, who's that? And he said, the guy that you've been calling a bastard all night? <laughs> That's my son, and he's not a bastard. Yeah. So it was kind of like, my okay, Pops. And, 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 you know, he had that look. Yeah. I know you never knew my dad, but you didn't want to mix with him because he, if you wanted to know where it kind of came from, it would be him. Yeah. His, his lesson to me in fighting Joe was, uh, if you're going to get in a fight, here's the two rules. Number one, when he starts talking, you already know it's coming. When he starts talking, hit him because you can't punch and talk at the same time. Okay. Number two, make sure the first punch is a real freaking good one because it could be your last. Yeah. Two very, so two very like, uh, sound pieces of advice, if you ask me. Oh yeah, yeah. I live by it. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, I, it's cool. I, you know, my dad, my dad's a pretty tough guy too. You know, he went uh, fought in Vietnam and all that stuff. He got wounded and everything. It's kind of like you just look up to. It's just the generation, you know. It's the the old school guys, and you know, it's just uh, it's a lot different than uh, than the world we're living in today, where. You know, I don't know. I never met your dad, but I, I could imagine he's probably a pretty tough guy, a pretty tough cowboy, I guess, from back in the day. And and he probably didn't take any shit from anyone. He probably didn't have to say a word. He probably just had to you know, look at you and got his point across just like that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, he knocked a few guys out in his life, too. Like, yeah, I, yeah. he's he's about as tough as they got. Yeah, yeah so he, my dad was my idol. So, uh, you know, he was very, very intelligent, but he had a very short fuse and... Mm-hmm. Uh, there were certain things that that you know he didn't care for, and uh, he's. I could tell you stories make you just make you just laugh your ass off, even in the fifties and sixties. That's great. That's so. Great. But leave it at that. Yeah. One day off the air, we'll compare dad stories. So, <laughs> uh, how did you end up in Springfield that year? You played eight games in Springfield. Uh, how'd you end up there? Conditioning. Okay. Yeah, okay. that was uh, conditioning. That was I went down there, played with Dale Henry. I believe down there. Yeah, I think there, right? uh, Mick was there, and uh, I believe Rod Dahlman was there, and uh, yeah, Kushner was there. was there. And uh, oh yeah, Kush. Uh, yeah. Gordy Lane was the coach. Yeah, Gordy was priceless. Yeah, he, he was. Yeah, Gordy was a great guy. <laughs> Just a great guy, Gordy. Um, you know, he he loved he loved the game. Yeah. Uh, good bunch of guys too. Like I remember Mick Fakota was freaking gigantic. Yeah. Like he was just like I'm going. I, I I was basically like, damn, I'm already getting old. <laughs> like I'm not getting like I you know I think my last year with the Islanders was best shape I was ever in. I think I was two thirty one, mm-hmm. um, and then like I had five cent body fat or something like that that year. Wow. 
or no, it was eight percent body fat I had that year. Uh, that's Bobby Basson that had five percent body fat or something. Wow. Uh, yeah, and he was a freaking great kid, Bob Basson. I love him. I uh, love him. And Brad Lauer, who's out here now, yeah, Oil Kings coaching. Coach of the uh, year, right? Brad. Yeah, Brad's done a Brad's done a, a great job, and good for him. Yeah. But th- those those two were roommates, and those two were about as cheap as cheap gets. Those two back in the day. <laughs> oh yeah, you ask you ever get a call with those two? Ask them about their living arrangements where they live. Pros. You know that is funny. Oh, well, uh, I, they they were quite the pair of those two. I definitely want to get Bobby on here. Uh, I'm a huge fan of his, and he played tough for a little guy and everything. I'd oh, love, he I'd did. love to get him on here, and I definitely will ask him about that. Um, yeah, oh yeah, I just ask about their living arrangements. I think they had one couch and two chairs and a kitchen table, something like that. <laughs> that's, that's and funny. one and one and one uh, recliner and. Uh, I think it, it numerous times it went on who got the recliner, who got the couch because they wanted to lay on it, right? Yeah. So they were playing pranks on each other all the time. Oh man. You know, we're getting phone calls and saying somebody was calling to get you know get the one guy up to take the phone, oh. and then the other one would jump on the couch, right? That kind of routine. Oh man. Yeah, I gotta I gotta try to find uh, get in touch with Bobby about that. Um, yeah. That season, unfortunately, uh, you you got hit with a slap shot, I believe. Uh, against the penguins and you missed yeah. significant time uh, do you remember that i, I mean oh, yeah. i mean uh for a guy who we're going to talk about later one of your ex-teammates uh kevin kaminsky he actually he was also hit in the face with a slap shot his uh one of his last seasons in the ihl he got hit with the peter nedved slap shot and uh yeah. I, when i was doing the research for this i forgot about what what had happened but you got hit with a slap shot against pittsburgh do you remember who took the shot Oh, yeah, it was Rod Buskins. Oh, Buskins. So, yeah, Rod took the shot to the point, and just as he went to shoot, because Danny Quinn was in front of the net, mm-hmm. and I was behind Danny, and t- I'm much taller than Danny, but, yeah. like, he kind of had my vision a little bit where I couldn't see it, and I could see the puck just as Rod went to shoot it. It jumped up on edge. Mm-hmm. So the shot wasn't that it was a hard. It's that... Uh, Danny moved and I saw it at the last second because it was coming right for Danny's head okay. and then I moved at the last second and when I lifted up it hit me right in the jaw and broke it in like seven places man, uh, man. and then I was you know that uh, the funniest thing about it was is, uh, he, I remember because my dad actually has it on an old VHS tape uh, I remember seeing the amount of blood uh, I remember being in the uh we went into convulsions a couple of times. Uh, it's hard to breathe. Yeah. Um, and then everything stopped. Like yeah. everything, all the pain, everything stopped. It was like very quick. It's, it, it seemed like an eternity, but it, it, I really don't think it, it was like 15, 20 seconds. And then next thing I remember, um, I was very, very fortunate that there was a uh, plastic surgeon that was uh, doing a conference in Pittsburgh. I don't remember the doctor's name, but he was very highly regarded at a different procedure. Uh, instead of wiring my mouth shut, which I'm pretty sure everybody wanted my mouth wired. Uh, I'm sorry, I'd stop talking so much. But at the end of the day, uh, he put in titanium bars in my face. Okay. And uh, um, I was very, I mean, it was it was hard to see. I remember in the ambulance, the doctor putting his finger in my face, and it was like, okay, my face isn't that big. And then I saw my face 
a couple of days later after the surgery and everything, and it, it was like 10, ten times. It was four or five times the size of my, like what I remember. And I remember it was just an emotional trauma. Right. Yeah, that it was hard to, to, to look at myself. And, um, so, I re, yeah, I remember all of it. And I remember uh, that uh, the process, which could have taken a long time for me to have my mouth shut, I think it lasted like a week. And yeah. then I was having soft food and stuff like that. So still have them in there. There's always a reminder that uh, of what happened. Yeah, so that one, I remember most of them that yeah. happened to me. But uh, that, one, that one definitely stood out. So we've already discussed how you you were one that would uh, use your words, use your mouth a little bit, and now when you come back, obviously you have to play with a jaw guard on. And for an, an enforcer to play with a jaw guard, I would imagine that some guys may have uh, looked at you as a target. And when you came back with this jaw guard on, um, did any of your opponents, maybe some guys you didn't necessarily get along with, or I would imagine also some of the guys who would never dream about fighting you in the first place, did anyone give you any shit about that? Oh, I would say number one would have been Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, like, even without a mask on, you didn't want to get hit by Bobby. Right. Um, you know, uh, but with that on, he, he was definitely, uh, I was told by my doctors in Toronto, um, and, and this is where they, the dirtiest fighter comment came, I think. Yeah. Um, but I was told by my doctors that if I had got hit in the face um, with uh, with a punch, that the metal and the bolts and everything, whatever they put in there, would could be could, could bend and contort my whole jaw. No kidding. And, and so I was I was told by my, my coaching staff, the medical staff, my my doctor. Uh, and plastic surgeon who, who reiterated that to the, to the Leafs that in no way or form, shape or form was I supposed to get in a fight and, and Bob just was going after me the one night uh, not the smartest move on my part but I just had enough and I dropped my gloves and I'm going to tell you that Bob must have hit me with about 15 right hands and right in the protector Yeah. and uh, I just went and tried to grab his legs and flip them down just because he was just beating the crap out of me and I was like I can't get hit that's all I can remember I can't get hit I can't get hit and I was thinking you dumbass why'd you fight Bobby <laughs> um, and, and you know so I was very lucky to get away without getting hurt and getting hit there because of that guard mm -hmm. um, nobody else nobody else came at me yeah. uh, uh, well we didn't play Montreal I don't think Right. so at that time so uh, you know but Bob was the one who took the you know he he was gonna have fun with me. Yeah, mm -hmm. and his story. Yeah, um, how did you find out about being traded to Toronto? Were you surprised? No, I wasn't surprised at all. When when I went to Toronto, uh, that was kind of one of those uh, expected it to come. Uh, they didn't tell me right. uh, until I think a little way, a few days before. Uh, if I remember correctly, but it wasn't where I was sitting there going, okay, this, I didn't expect this to come, right? Right, right. Uh, now, I have to ask, especially because after your career is over, you went into coaching. I have to know, what was it like playing for John Brophy? Oh, the Brof. Yeah. I love Brof. Yeah. Brof was awesome. Like, Brof, Brof, you know, here's a quick story with Brof, like, Brof and I had a really good relationship. Brof loved to do, uh, at the end of uh, morning skates, 
you'd love to wire the puck around the boards. We'd have to keep it in, drag it across, and shoot on the goalie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he would fire it a little bit higher off the boards and a couple off the glass. It wasn't very hard. But then I'd come up and have my face shield, and he was firing them at me high. And he was doing it on purpose. Yeah. And I was sitting there, you mother, bleep, 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 bleep. <laughs> so I wound up, and I was like, I took a slap shot at him, and I shot it high. Yeah. Now, I was aiming at least, in my mind, 20 feet left of him. I think it didn't come more than four feet away from his head. Oh, and it was like, and, and he just started howling. Yeah. Just started laughing. He's kind of like, that's my boy, kind of thing, right? And, 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 you know, Brope was a very, uh, like, he wasn't into all, in that time, all the gimmicks of the game, right? That are, are what we, they're not gimmicks. They're, they're factual, scientific. Uh, you know, we were into the, the videos. And, you know, Brope was more of this game is very simple. You skate hard, you work hard, you hit hard, and you drop your wrapping gloves. And, uh, you know, it's the guy that stands up at the end kind of thing, bro. Yeah, he, you know, when you break it down to the simplest of games, uh, knowing people's systems, knowing what certain players can do, their strengths, their weaknesses, and all that, that all plays into today's game huge. Uh, when I look at it, uh, I, I always sit there and go, you know, Brope wasn't that far off on certain things because when it really comes down to it, I, I've been prepared for some of the best coaches that ever coached the game. Uh, and, and But it really comes down to when you want something so bad, how far are you willing to go? Yeah. And that's not, and, and that's each individual asking themselves that same question, and then using the systems and the uh, the tools that the the you know the, the video guys give you and all that. But I wasn't into that. He was yeah. more into friggin', you know what? Uh, pay the price more than the other team, and you'll be successful. Yeah. Uh, so, so he's very old school in that way. But I enjoyed Brof. I mean, L.A. was funny when he cut his head behind that. Rope wasn't supposed to go behind the stands, and Rope went behind the stands, and he cut his head. And yeah. It's behind the bench, and all you can see is, you know, his red, white hair with yeah. blood, blood on it. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that bro, that Rope didn't give a shit about that stuff. No. Rope, Rope was like, you know what? He, like he was a tough guy. Yeah. Rope was a tough man. So oh, yeah. I enjoyed playing for him. I don't think, you know, uh, he, he was he was completely different than anyone else I was ever around in my life. But he treated me very well. That's good. Now, uh, you had one fight with Toronto before the playoffs, and that was against uh, Gord Donnelly. It was in Quebec. And the reason why I bring this up is um, after the fight, you had escaped by their penalty box, and Gord was already in the box. And you actually stopped and had a a couple of second conversation, and it looked completely civil. And I always wondered if you remembered what that was about, and I wondered if it was about maybe the face guard or anything like that, if you remembered the talk with him uh, when you fought him in Quebec with Toronto. Oh, I think it was me thanking Gord. Yeah. I, 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 I you know, I got that Gord. I can't, yeah. I, I think it had something to do with Gord could have, you know, another time that I shouldn't have been fighting, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and Gord backed off, and I think he had me in a situation where he could have, hurt me and, and yeah. I don't think he did and I was kind of like hey you know hats, hats off to you type thing right because yeah. you know but you know for me uh, again there's a great example of a guy that if I'm if I remember correctly he kind of had me in a spot where he could have hurt me badly mm-hmm. and he didn't so yeah. you know hats off to him yeah and like I said the conversation seemed civil and his reaction when you were done and skated away was kind of like he just shrugged his shoulders and it was kind of like yeah no problem you know, so... Uh, oh, actually, I remember it a little bit better now that yeah. I'm thinking about it. 
we were we were talking about uh, I think Gord said something like you're supposed to be fighting or something I said no I'm not supposed to be fighting at all Gord <laughs> like at all <laughs> Uh, and, and still, though, you know, Gord was Gord was good, and that's 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 that side that people that, that I like people to see of some of the guys that uh, that were the tough guys, and, and that, and I think they all have. Yeah. Now that these all these guys are out of the game, and that, yeah, you'd be amazed how how super these guys are. They they're they're really good people. Well, I've been fortunate throughout my life. I I have met. Tons of guys who have done the job. Some of them are, are close friends to this day, and I can attest to, to what you're saying because uh, there is probably maybe two or three guys who I don't really care for, but everyone else I've met uh, has been nothing but unbelievable to me. And like I like you say the same thing. It's just you know for someone like myself, I'm just a ham and egger. I'm just a fan. But every every player that I've met that is an enforcer, a tough player, they treat you like just a regular person because I think in your head you're just a regular person there's really no ego I haven't really found that with too many guys who've done the job where there's an ego about them I, you know maybe one or two uh but you know just class acts all the way yeah and, and you know the thing about it is is you understand which is probably one of the toughest things for young hockey players to understand what their role is going to be um, and once you get to that point where you understand it and you accept what you're going to be, and, and, and we, you know, this is for another time or whatever. Yeah. But once you get to that point, and you understand it, that, and you and you do what you're paid to do, basically. Yeah. Uh, and you accept it and challenge yourself to it, and becoming also a hockey player. It's not just being a fighter, a goon, or anything. You also wanted to become a player and understand the game. Uh, so, you know, once you got to that point and understanding all of that stuff. Uh, then you play your role to, to when those days are over. And, and when they're over and you look back and you say, uh, what did you end up doing in your life as far as uh, you ended up being an NHL player? Yeah. You ended up playing. They could, when people say you were nothing but a goon, Colonel, you curd, you were nothing but an effing goon, and you were this and that. And I'm like, and? <laughs> What's your point? So, yeah. So, to me... Uh, I, I live my dream, and, and a lot of the other guys that I know live their dream, and every hockey player that plays, uh, they are, I would say, 99.9 are living their dream. So uh, that I leave it there. Well, most people actually had a not an argument, because I don't do the online arguing, but uh, we'll call it a discussion uh, recently about uh, a former player on the Islanders that someone said, suck monkey balls. And I said, how, how do you understand how hard it is to make the NHL, I said, if you make the NHL and play one game, you're better at hockey than 98% of the world. If you just mm-hmm. make it and play one game, how how anyone can disrespect a player? Forget about the NHL. Like you have to be good to make the coast. You have to be good to make the AHL or yeah. the IHL back in the day. But the guy that we were talking about played around 200 NHL games, and I go. You've got to be kidding me to say that about someone who played two hundred. How many games did you play? You know, like I never, I never yeah. understand that how how some fans don't get that. And there's shamefully there's a lot of them. But I will always defend guys and just the the one line that usually shuts them up is how many games did you play? Well, and and I have fun. Like even my guys, they bust up. Like my buddies, stuff they'll bust on me. Like they'll be like my brother-in-law, Christ said to it, you know. 
you know, had I only had tried, I could have made it right. And and you know, he's I, he, he cracks me up all the time. He's just yeah. he's a fun guy. Yeah, he's only busting my you know busting mm-hmm. my chops, right? But when people say you, you know that kind of stuff, Joe. I'm more of, you know, I kiss my ass. Yeah, yeah. You know, you have no freaking eye what you do. And, and, and you know what I say to, to anyone who's ever played, got drafted. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here, here, here's to put something in context. Somebody who drafts you, whether it's first or it's 200 draft, that's 200 in the world. Yeah. All right, so that's an accomplishment on its own. So now you've got to, okay, that's the big step. Now the bigger step is is getting there mm-hmm. and the process of getting there. The process is not for, for the, even for the top star players, they've all had to go through their times too, right? Yeah. But the, the tweeners, the guys that are to play the roles and stuff like that, you know what? The work and the commitment, the time and the training that, that goes into it, it is a, it is for somebody to make comments like that, they don't, they don't even face me. Right. Like if somebody was to come on and say, you know what, I, I think you were this, 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 I'd say, you know what, at the end of the day, to, to me, not to insult you, but you're a horse's ass. So yeah. you, you really are. You're like, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to get into a fight with you. Right. You know, you're just that guy that played back in school. You were that guy that played dodgeball and you were the last guy picked. Yeah. And now you're getting back and whatever you want to go do, whatever your point you're trying to make. Anyone who's played pro sports at any sport, I take my hat off to any of them. Yeah. Uh, even if they played in the American League, mm-hmm. in the East Coast, uh, yeah. made pro, uh, playing over in Europe, they're living their dream. And to me, how dare anybody? How dare anybody? That you, 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 you can have your opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. But be careful what you say because that person is going to have their opinion back too. But I will not get into a debate or discussion over somebody that will talk about any player at any sport that has anything negative to say about how a player made it or whatever the case may be. Uh, they made it. End yeah. of story. Made it. Good I, for them. Should be proud. I generally don't, but this particular player is a friend of mine, so I was like, I can't let this go. But uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's just a good discussion. Yeah. So that season, uh, when you were traded to Toronto, you had a pretty intense playoff against Detroit. Uh, we already talked about Bob, and you fought Harold Snaps that series, and uh, Dave Barr. And it seemed like you were out on the ice every time Gerard Gallant was on the ice. You guys had a pretty pretty good running battle where it didn't necessarily lead to a fight, but it seems like you guys were always in each other's faces, always in each other's kitchen. Uh, can you talk about that playoff series with Detroit? Oh, I, like, yeah, I saw Gerard uh, in Vegas a couple of years ago, or a year ago. I can't remember what it was, a couple of years ago, wherever it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, um, so we knew each other when we played the Memorial Cup. Okay. In Portland, when he played, I think he was playing with Pat LaFontaine. Okay. For Verdun, Verdun. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah Verdun. So um, I loved the way Gerard Gallant. Oh yeah. Oh, he was just—he he was just the guy that just balls to the wall. He did every—he did all the little things really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe don't get noticed as much as some other people, but you know, the, the guys that were the gamers and they brought it every night, and Gerard brought it every night. So there was going to be a battle between mm-hmm. him and I. Yeah. 
because yeah. I was going to bring it every night. He was going to bring it every night. Um, and whether the coaching staff decided that that's what they wanted to do was put us against each other, it seemed that way. <clears throat> um, you know, those kind of battles are, are, are amazing battles. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'd sit there and, and, and I, I would say to you 100%, I can't speak for Gerard, but I would say we didn't think of it that way. We just thought of this is what we got to do. Yeah, I wasn't there to I, I, whether it was Gerard or it was anybody else. Uh, I, I was going to be the same way. Mm. Um, it just happened to be when you run into two guys that are really competitive and really have zero fear, and they're going to go at each other. And I think Gerard knew I would never fight him. Right. Um, guys that weren't like, and I think Gerard could fight. I'm not saying he couldn't. Right. But guys that weren't uh, notorious for that, for fighting and stuff like that, I, I never. You know, I didn't. I would play hard against them, and I'd be physical, and I'd do what I have to do. But I wasn't a guy that was sitting there going to go. You know, I'm going to go maim you, or I'm going to do this, or whatever. Right? I, I was just going to play hard, and Elvis was dictated by how you played against our guys. If you became dirty, I was going to become dirty with you. And I never ran into that with Gerard. Like he played the game uh, tough. He played it uh, to most points straight up. Uh, no different than I did. I mean, yes, we cross-checked and slashed and stuff like that, but, you know, that was part of our time back then. What is it like playing for the Maple Leafs during a playoff series against arguably their most heated rival in the, you know, I think people would say Toronto is the, the center of the hockey universe. Everybody knows about the Toronto media. Uh, what is that like for a player? Well, to Toronto is, of course, and this is where it all comes back, where I was born there, right? Mm-hmm. Even though I was only there for six months, I was still born in Toronto. Um, so when you go to Toronto, the city, I, I would say, and it's just my opinion, that hockey is the biggest sport in that town. Oh, yeah. By by far. Uh, okay, now the Raptors have won the NBA championship, and the Blue Jays have been successful at times, too, and won World Series back. And, and Toronto has really, the Leafs have, have not been able to do it. Mm-hmm. I win a Stanley Cup, but I'll tell you one thing: if there was a city that really, really needs to win a Stanley Cup, it's Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it would be good for every for everyone in, in, in different ways. Another, again, another time, another conversation. But yeah. um, Toronto is a place that the, the, the hockey fans are dying to have a Stanley Cup championship team, and that's the pressure of playing in Toronto or Montreal. Yeah. Montreal, they, who had so much success back in the earlier days, not so much, uh, not too much to, to uh, you know, recently, obviously. Um, but Toronto, if the, I would love to be uh, at a game in Toronto, Stanley Cup Game Seven in Toronto, I, I think uh, you'd see a city that would go into pandemonium and an eruption. And uh, I hope they do get it. I, I would. Will say that um, I'd like to, as, as somebody who's a Canadian, I'd like to see a Canadian team win again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the parity in the National Hockey League now is so ridiculous. You, you need some lucky breaks. You need luck. You need uh, the right teams to be playing at the right time. You need your power play, penalty killing to be going. Your power, your your goaltender to be you know outstanding. You need a lot of things to go right. Yeah. Um, and anyone who's uh, anyone's, I can't speak. Because I'll never, I've never won a Stanley Cup, so I can't speak of the guys. Those guys could tell you more. I can tell you from uh, American Hockey League Championship what it takes. Uh, I think they're 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 somewhat similar. They just 
a lot more money for the guys winning the Stanley Cup and a beautiful trophy. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't. I, I look at the Calder Cup and that. That's you know, I, I've been lucky enough to be part of two of those. Yeah. So and one. So they're very difficult. But again, to answer your question, it would be a, it would be a blast. Do you remember what happened in Maple Leaf Gardens one night? Uh, you and Sergio Omesso uh, had a pretty heated exchange. You actually didn't end up fighting. But it continued in the penalty box where you guys were screaming at each other. Do you remember what happened? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I always remember Sergio. <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, and, it, and it's hard to believe it. I, and, and, you know, I'm a kind of guy that just calls it straight out as it yeah. always has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sergio was another an incredible, intense, intense player. player. Yeah. Uh, I honestly, when Sergio got mad, I honestly got to tell you, I laughed. Because <laughs> there was just, to me, like Sergio, you're hockey. You, you know, you're, I'm not putting myself down. You, you, you actually, you're hardworking. I think he was a third liner. Yeah. Uh, played a, a great role, played quite a bit of ice. Uh, you know, it was tough too. It wasn't that he was, but that really wasn't his big role. I don't, right. in, in my mind, anyway. Right. But Sergio, when he would get mad at me, uh, I would, most times I would just laugh my ass off because I just didn't have any belief that he was ever going to beat me up. Right, right. So I kind of took it as, okay, I admire how intense you are. And he was. It wasn't fake. It was a real deal. And he wanted to win. There was no question about that. But I was just of guys that I played against. There were guys that, uh, you know, that I, I, I knew that, Okay, you know I'm in for a long, a long one tonight. You know, this, you know, here's the top 40 tough guys in the league and whatever, right? Uh, you got to be aware of all of them, um, and, and you know, not trying to put down Sergio by any means. It's just I didn't look at him that way where he was going to intimidate me. Right. So it, it, he just didn't have the effect. But did I like going at him? Yeah. Like he liked going at me. Yeah, yeah, I I, lo- I, I love that. Like I, I, again, I told you before, I, I enjoyed it. I've come up with some pretty crazy ass lines <laughs> to, get, to get guys going. I've called some players. You know, I was talking about Forrest Gump and yeah. to a couple of players, her life is a box of chocolates and stuff <laughs> like that. I mean, I've come, whatever whatever crap can come out of my mouth, but yeah, it, it was all done with uh, uh, in that time. It was all done to to get guys not to, to get them out of their out of their game, to get them out of their bubble. So we've, we've spoken a lot about uh, Toronto's rivalry, rivalry with Detroit, but another team that you guys always went at it pretty hard was uh, Chicago. And you were on the ice, actually, when uh, Brawl broke out and Dennis Savard suckered Gary Lehman. Uh, you ended up paired off with Cam Russell. Uh, Manson lost his mind. Uh, Wendell and John almost wanted to leave the bench. Uh, do you remember that whole incident? Oh... I thought that that was the one that Wendell basically kicked the crap out of a bunch of guys. No, so he, might was on the wrong. he was on the bench. He was on the bench. Okay. Um, Chicago, I that was what Manson was it? Manson went crazy, but it started when Savard suckered Gary Lehman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah. Okay, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, which is uncharacteristic for Dennis Savard because yeah. that's just not him. Yeah. Uh, but when it, uh, <laughs> I remember, I remember Manson. Yeah. Okay. I remember, um, I just, you know, th- there's a great example of getting, uh, when Dennis did what he did, he got completely out of his, 
uh, out of what he was. Mm-hmm. And Gary, uh, Gary had a look about him that, that I could see. I could see whatever happened in that incident. I don't remember, but yeah, uh, I do remember Manson, uh, and uh, he just had those eyes yeah. that were just like, oh, okay, here we go. But like again, he's he's another one who was a player. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I, I, I'm sorry, but they end up in the same category. If he was fighting me, Joe, then Chicago just lost a, you know, one of the best defensemen for five minutes. Mm-hmm. And if I did that, then well, that's a good job for me. Um, but I, I just remember Dennis, and I remember Manson, and just the way he was acting. And those those moments, right in the moment, yeah are so intense um like i kind of go into a different world too mm-hmm. so I, yeah i just I, honestly i remember dennis and i remember uh, manson i don't remember much after that well here here's something i'll ask this is a what if so when they showed uh when they showed the bench on tv and wendell and john are trying like they want off they want on the ice they want off the bench and doug carpenter is the coach i always wondered what do you think happens if brof was the coach Oh, they go over. Yeah. <laughs> yep. They probably go over, uh, which wouldn't have been a, a smart decision by any means. Right. Uh, but Wendell, when like Wendell just had a whole. I mean, Wendell was uh, this guy that could that played the game like and it had phenomenal shot. Yeah. Um, but he, he was such a gamer. Like I personally think that most players were were in fear of fighting Wendell. Maybe not your heavyweights, right. but everyone else would would be. Yeah. Everyone would be. Because you know, you know, as a heavyweight, if you're a big six foot four, six foot five guy and you're fighting Wendell Clark and Wendell Clark beats the crap up, which Wendell's done to a yep. couple, uh, you beat Wendell up, you okay, you look like okay, you're just a, a you know, heavyweight fighting a middleweight kind of guy. Well Wendell, Wendell wasn't just a middle, he was a as I say he was a heavyweight middleweight champion or sorry, the heavy the champion of middleweights. But Wendell could beat up some heavyweights too. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't his job, but that's just the way he was as a person. So yeah, if Rofe was back there, I think I don't think he would have let Wendell go, but I'm pretty sure Cords might have gone over. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know, here's the thing about Wendell. Okay, you notice in every every bit of the conversation we've had so far, all we're calling him is Wendell. And you know, if you if you know who you're talking about just by the first name, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. If you just yeah. say Wendell and you know exactly who you're talking about, that that's saying something. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he he was just uh, he, he was. Uh, I saw Wendell actually a year a uh, year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, same old Wendell, saw yeah. in Toronto, but uh, you know, he, he's he's a guy that uh, deserved respect. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Ninety ninety one begins. You play four games. You fight Stu Grimson, and then you you find yourself in Newmarket. What happened there in Toronto? I don't really. Um... I think I was going into a place at that time. If I'm not, if I'm remembering correctly, I think I was getting tired of the game. Yeah. 
I think I was getting tired of it. I wasn't having much fun in the game anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I bring this up to you because it, it comes to a point where I think exactly where it kind of started. Okay. Uh, I got kind of tired of it. And make a very long story short, if it wasn't for my mother back then, because I had turned the game into a job. Mm-hmm. And that was something that uh, I changed my whole game. I wasn't interested in being caught in physical contact. I wasn't wanting to fight anybody. I was just kind of there getting a paycheck. Uh, and and I was, you know, I remember, I think, saying that I'm kind of done with it. Uh, my mom and dad had basically said to me, you know, uh, for the remainder of that season and then during the summertime, was kind of like, you, you know what, uh, if, they, if the good, if the bad days are out doing the good days, it's time to get out of it. And it kind of was, yeah. but they wanted me to remind me of what I was when I was younger and then playing on the outdoor rinks and playing all the way up, how I always had a smile and I always was a smart ass and I always had a look and and I was beacon on the ice all the time and that wasn't happening anymore. I didn't have that passion and love anymore for it. So I, I tried to get that back and I did. Uh, it, it, you know, it took me a year. Mm-hmm to get it back but I was enjoying the game again and and, and I, from that point on uh, I think I went another nine years of playing yeah. uh, and was up and down different teams and uh, I was I was pretty well convinced I was going to be in the minors for the remainder of my career at that time and I had a couple more sticks up with different teams obviously yeah. uh, but but the, I, I remembered why I played the game and, and even though it is a job and you and you get paid well and, and that you I think me personally, you got to remember that it is a game. Yes. It's your life, but it is a game. And the challenge for you is not only you know, what people don't understand is, you know, uh, I try to equate it to when you, when you got 20,000 people knowing what exactly what you get paid and they're expecting to have high expectations of what you should be and a player and like that. Well, that's because they should. If you're if you're supposed to be this kind of player, you better be that kind of player. Fans can pick it out. Uh, but also understanding that, the, again, there are so many things that we do not let anybody know within the circle of our room and that. And there's, there could be situations that are very personal going through people's lives at certain times. And, uh, and, and, and they're, they, the press isn't allowed to know it. They, nor should they get to know it. It's not none of their business. Right. Um, and, and that's personal and, and personal needs to stay personal and that's why it stays with us um, but I, you know, they do have that right to, to, to you know, when you're getting paid as much as you do so uh, for me um, going forward with the rest, of, the rest of my career as you know, as we go on through the talking but for however long you want to talk but yeah. um, it was imperative that I found that love of that game again and when I did, uh, it spiraled me on to going into something I would never do into coaching and then, you know, obviously working in, in, and working with young kids today and, and trying to help them understand the, the, the physical and the mental part of this game and what you, you know, how you have to prepare. And that, so I, I've had a great life from this game. I love the fact that your mom was involved. I, you know, we've already spoken about your dad and. I, yeah. I could hear it in your voice how much respect you have for dad, but I love I love when the mom comes into play. Um, so, do you think it was it was um, the tra- the trade? Did that help you too? Going to Buffalo and spending some time in Buffalo. Um, did that maybe getting out of Toronto? Not anything against Toronto, but to change the scenery. Do you think that helped you too? 
Um, you know what? None of, to be honest with you, Joe, none of that helped. Yeah. Um, I just, I wasn't in that place. I wasn't playing for the right reasons. Right. Um, and then that's, that's something that, you know, we, you're very lucky in life if you can find a way and have good people around you that are going to help you. And, and, and you only hope and pray that, that, that they hit a chord, like that chord was hit with me. Right. Um, but Buffalo was, was, a, was a, in some ways, it was absolutely horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and in other ways, it was fantastic because some of the people that I, that I players that I talked to and um, the fans were great in Buffalo. I've never had problems with anywhere I've played. Uh, yeah. Fans have always, they've been always good to me. So I have zero complaints with all the places I played. Um, but I will say after Buffalo, uh, the Toronto Buffalo experience, after that was over, that's when I was kind of like, you know, get, get your head out of your ass. Do, do you actually really love this game? Or, you know, this is your livelihood. This is what you do. This is what you loved your whole life. This was your dream. It, it, it was remembering, it was trying to remember and go back. And as you said, like I said with my mother, this is why it was more of a process of over a year, is, is that it was just a reminder of, you know, it's not that far out of reach right. if I wanted it. So I decided I wanted it, and it took me several months to get it back to, and then, oh, my God, I was just having a blast. I, you know, I went on to, you know, where the hell did I end up? Well, after that, I was Rochester, I think. Well, when, when, you, um, when you were traded, both years, uh, the, the half a season, you split yeah. time between Buffalo and Rochester. And uh, yeah. that first half season, uh, you played 17 games uh, for Buffalo, uh, you had 43 penalty minutes. I was going to ask you about, uh, you had three fights that year. You fought Ed Kastlick with Hartford, Bob Sweeney in Boston, and uh, you had another go-around with Tim Hunter. So I was going to ask if any of those stood out. And also, one of the guys that I'm assuming you played with, but I'm also not sure because you played the same position, you played the same style. I don't know if maybe you played if he was hurt, but it's a guy that I've always respected a lot, and that's Jay Wells. Did you actually play with Jay in Buffalo? Oh, yeah. Jay, Jay is in friggin', he's a, he's in super person. Yeah. Yeah, really, really. He's a real good guy. Mm-hmm. Jay, Jay, I have all the respect for him for Jay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when, when I take a look at it uh, with a guy like Jay, for example, um, what a story in his life has always been. Like, it's, you know, I was lucky enough to, you know, for him to share whatever he wanted to share. I mean, it's nothing. We were the best buddies in the world on the team and all that kind of stuff. But we we definitely got along really, really well. And we had some talks here and there. Yeah. Uh, he's just been. He's just a, a very uh, a very a good person and good. You know. How do I describe it? He, when he wanted to talk, he talked. But if he didn't, he didn't. Yeah. Uh, and when he did, it wasn't going to be long, long conversations. But it was great to the point where mm-hmm. you know I can go all over the map. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, Jay, a ton of respect for her. And then I was just thinking back, Bob Sweeney. Yeah. I always loved Sweeney. Like, it, it's like I probably, if I had a brother, that would have been my brother. Oh, is that right? Uh, well, he's tall. He's got the same color hair I did. Kind of <laughs> stuff like that, right? Uh, but, hey, you know, Bob, you were, you're were you a player. Again, you know, I'm reiterating over and over. You're a player. Don't be, you're in that same category. You're not scaring me one bit. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Like zero. Yeah. Like I don't care if you grind your teeth or growl at me. You're just not gonna scare me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but and he was fine. Who were the other two guys? Uh, Ed Castellick. 
Uh, Hartford oh, yeah. and uh, Timmy Hunter again. Timmy. Yeah, yeah well, no, Timmy doesn't stick up much. Kastnick yeah. does. Kastnick, I, I, I remember, he was trying, um, he was a big, tall kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't believe Joe was much of a fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it was at all. It was yeah. whatever. But um, so there's nothing really exciting. But, you know, he's a game. Yeah. He, he was there. He's big. He was trying to, you know, again, in, 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 in the times that I started and as time went by, and the, you know, you look at players that are coming up and younger than you are and you're sitting there going, you know what? Like, hey, kid, it's your turn. You know, I went through it for years, and, and, and now you're trying to prove yourself. And I don't dislike kids or, or, or guys. They're not kids. They're young men. They're yeah. not kids. But, you know, as you've been in the league for several years, you kind of look at kids coming up, and you're sitting there going, you know what? I know what you're going through. Yeah. And, and all the best to you. I mean, go for it kind of thing, right? Yeah. Uh, um, oh, so, uh, well, one of the guys you played with in Rochester is another guy that I'm a big fan of. And – uh he definitely earned everything he did in the NHL. He definitely earned it the hard way. Uh, you remember playing with Darcy Lowen? Oh, Darcy. He worked hard. Yeah. Darcy was freaking a million miles an hour, intense as hell, had a burning desire, um, wanted to be the best. Yeah. Um, he was, Darcy to me was more of a, uh, when I look at him, he was that, this is my own opinion, he's a guy that could have, like, he, he was a great energy player mm-hmm. and he did all the things right that you needed to do to be a hockey player. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to a guy like Darcy Lowen that has that work ethic, the commitment, not only on and off the ice, you sit there and you go, you know what? You admire a guy like that. Uh, is there anything flashy about Darcy? No. Right. Uh, but was there something that stands out all the time? I, I don't think you'd ever find a shift that Darcy Lowen ever took off. Nope. Never. And you know what? It's pretty friggin' pretty amazing that Darcy Lowen can consistently play as hard as he did every single shift in every game he ever played. Yeah. So hats off to Darcy. Now, did you sign with Edmonton or did you sign with Cape Breton the following year? I signed with Cape Breton. Okay. Okay. So that was the big turn okay. in my life. Yeah. So now things really, really were. I was starting to find my way back. Um. And I enjoyed it. Uh, and it was fun. And Cape Breton, we were a bunch of friggin' misfits. <laughs> Holy crap. We were, uh, we had some friggin' players and we had some Cape Breton, uh, you know, summertime, an absolutely beautiful place, wintertime, tough, and phenomenal people. Yeah. Um, and we had a team that was so, if you would ask me what, 20 games left, were we going to be a championship team? I would have told you, not a freaking chance. <laughs> you know, uh, George was our coach. Yeah. Um, Andrew, or Dave Andrews was the general manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just had missed it. And then the c- most comical, funny thing happened. We played against uh, um, St. John's, The Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and Crawford was coaching the team. I think we were in fourth place. They were in first. And we lost. We, we played phenomenal in that game, and we lost. We had a shot of like 50. There's a theme to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So 
in that time you played that night and the day off and played the next night day off it was always that every you know played every second day right yeah so all of us after that game we all about 10 of us decide we're going to go out uh-huh. and we go out and you know uh probably weren't in the best shape the next day um not all of us but some, but, but some guys definitely were but the funniest thing happened. The team was all of a sudden it was getting really something was different. Uh, the, the the star players were starting to hang out with the, every oh, everybody else. They were, they were learning about each other. It took us a whole freaking year, but it, it didn't happen until the playoffs. And so we go out and we win the next night, mm-hmm. and then we have to stay overnight. So now most of the team comes out, and it just becomes a theme. And, the, you know, we don't play the next day. We fly, blah, blah, blah. And I remember George could kind of go and, like, what the hell's going on here? And I said, but I was just like, George, let me tell you something. That's the closest I've ever seen this team. And I think it's going in a great direction. So we went out after every game, and then we had it. We had won after losing that first game. We went all the way to finals to play against Rochester. Mm-hmm. And playing by the same rules, but we played... And we had to get to Rochester the next so we both, Rochester, Buffalo, and Edmonton got us a plane so that we could all go out, but the plane got delayed. Okay. And we didn't get to, we didn't get to our, our hangout place in Roch, mm-hmm. the, bar, the bar closed, and we lost the next day. Oh, wow. So we only lost two games. Yeah. And then we went out after that game, and then we, we won the next, the next three, or next two, mm-hmm. and, we, and we won the Calder Cup. I was injured the last game. I got broke. I broke my something or other, my finger or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the funny, and I'm, I'm not saying we went out and we got all hammered and stuff like that. We went out and we hung together. Yeah. Uh, you know, some guys definitely had more drinks than others, but we were we ended up coming together at the right time. And I remember, I think Billy McDougal had 56 points in 19 games or whatever it was. Wow. Roman Aksuda was there, Dad, and, and uh, Dan Curry was there, Sean Van Allen was there, uh, Roger Rankin was there, Ewan Herbers, Jeff Bloomberg, uh, on and on and on. And it was just fun to see that team come together at the right time. Um, talk about Mark LaForge. He's one of the guys I wanted to ask you about. LaForge. Uh, <laughs> guy that I, I've always been a fan of his. I've never had the pleasure of meeting him. Uh, he's definitely a guy that... Uh, He's known, he has a reputation that he'll fight you or he'll stick you or he'll just try to maim you. Uh, what kind of a teammate was he? Phenomenal. Yeah. Forgy was great. Yeah. Yeah, and highly, highly, highly intellectual. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not talking just hockey. I'm talking in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was Mr. Wall Street Journal all the time. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah, I love reading the Wall Street Journal all the time. <laughs> Forgy. Uh, but you're right, 4G, uh, you never knew what 4G was going to do. Mm-hmm. He'd drop his gloves or, or he'd stick you in the face. Uh, he'd go, well, maybe he wouldn't stick maybe in the face, but he'd definitely go pretty high on you. Yeah. Um, nobody knew what 4G was going to do. But as a person, you if you didn't like 4G, you had problems. Right, right. You really did. Like, he was the most likable guy that you ever met. Like, that's, that's – so, yeah, you see this guy that could be a monster on the ice. <laughs> yeah. But then you're meeting one of the nicest freaking guys you ever met up these, and and just a good all around person, hands down, no question about it. Well, that's good to hear. 
Now, how everybody knows, you know, people from the Maritimes, are tough, tough, good people. Those games that you know, in the, that division you're in with St. John's and Fredericton and Moncton and Halifax. I mean, just I, I made note of some of the guys that were in this division with you: Rudy Poshek, Kevin McClellan, uh, Ken McRae, Jerry Fleming, Donald Brashear, uh, Darcy Simon, Craig Martin, Al Stewart, Killer Kaminsky, Jim Sprott. Chris Simon played a little bit for Halifax that year. Well, these games, it, it had to be. You, there was never a night off when you were playing the divisional game, I guess. Yeah, but you know what? Funny enough, though, Joe. Um, there really wasn't a lot of fighting. Yeah. Um, we we were a very high skilled team. We had a we had a tough few tough guys. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Francois Francois Larue was there. Darcy Martini was there. Yeah. Uh, myself, Forgy, uh, and we had a couple other guys just trying to go through it. But um, it was there was a lot of t- yapping and talking, but there wasn't uh, there wasn't the fighting that I would have expected to happen. And quite frankly, I didn't mind it. Yeah, I bet. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was actually, um, it was fun to just play. Yeah. And they were some tough boys. Mm-hmm. The, and there's no, there's, and again, you know, I had the reputation. Some of these guys were young, like, like uh, Kevin and I. Obviously, we played Portland Pirates and called a cup. Kevin Kaminsky and I, yeah. killer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not going to meet a nicer guy in the world. Oh, like yeah. Kevin is is just uh, you know he does things that people don't even know like kids he, he could have been the mayor of Portland oh yeah uh, but Killer I, I was behind the net one time and we were playing against him and we were winning and I was stalling time after just staying behind the net and he swung a stick right over top of the net and I just laughed my ass off <laughs> like I, this this guy's whacked right yeah um, and I still talk to Killer yeah uh, um, but he's the most uh, you know like he gets kids that send him letters and he wants his card signed and he writes back every single one of those kids you see him on the bus trips all the time doing it so you know a good person but you get him on the ice the light switch goes on oh yeah and 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 he had a reputation of like kevin was not afraid of anybody zero Mm -hmm. and and never would be and, and didn't care if he got beat he'd come back yeah and they knew that about kevin um, so, you know, uh, and, and to be his teammate, uh, I loved it. But, yeah, you know, like Donald Brescher, I ran into him a few times. And Donald and I never got into it. He's yeah. a big, you know, he's a big man. Yeah. Uh, and tough, too, right? And Jerry Fleming, you know, I had some gaps with Jerry, and I've known each other for a long time. I've talked to him for years, but we yeah. knew each other for a long time. We got along. We were actually roommates at one point okay. uh, in the uh, union, basically, in mm-hmm. American League. We we're on the same board, kind of thing. Okay. But uh, when it comes down to it, uh, no, we didn't. Surprisingly, I would have expected more from a lot of these guys, but uh, a lot of them didn't do it. Yeah. So not against us, anyway. Right. Right. So um, you mentioned that you did win the Calder Cup that year. Unfortunately, you said you didn't play that last game. Um, can you compare winning the Calder Cup to winning the Memorial Cup? No, uh, two different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Calder Cup goes right. I mean, again in Cape Breton when we won it, you know, I re- literally remember we we went until middle of May, mm-hmm. and I think our check to each other was like sixty five hundred bucks. That's what we got. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but we got beautiful rings. Yeah. Uh, but again, it was really funny. The money didn't even matter. Yeah. I know people find that hard to believe. 
it was nice to have $6,500. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But we have a ring and our name on a trophy for the rest of our life mm-hmm. of a very difficult championship to win. Oh, definitely. You know, I lost it with Rochester. We went to the finals and, and we didn't win there. Like, when you talk about Roch and, and uh, Rochester and uh, Cape Breton and Portland, it's funny how I remember the championship teams. I can tell you just about anything, you know, all the days, things we did, all the the prices we paid but on the, the the team that didn't win um i can't tell you as many stories by by any means uh, you know um but I, but it, it definitely was uh, a memorial cup is like i said it's a one and three one and four chance you got a chance to win it as long as you play in the american hockey league you play 10 years you got 10 chances yeah but i will say it is equally as tough um, and the feeling is just as amazing. Yeah. Like, it's just an amazing feeling. Um, and, and even the second time around with Portland, uh, Portland was, was, was even sweeter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that team was very close. Very, 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 very close. Like Olaf Kolzig and Byron Defoe were our goalies that year. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was... It, it's, it, you know what? Anytime anyone wins a championship, hats off to everybody on the team. It takes a lot to go... Uh, to win a championship at any at any level it takes a lot. So the next season you signed with Portland, I believe, and then did you sign with Washington when they wanted to call you up, or did you sign outright with Washington? Oh, I know I signed with Portland, and it, it was, but I went to Washington's camp. Okay. And I remember because I was laughing my ass off that I was in great shape. Mm-hmm. Um, contrary to a couple of years earlier when I wasn't feeling it, mm-hmm. I was in really good shape again. And so I go to Washington's camp, and I don't give a rat's ass if I make it or not. Right. But I'm in great shape. Like, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to have fun. But I'm ready to go to Portland, you know? And uh, so we're on our last road trip. I remember I was with Chris Jensen, who was our captain in Portland. And Jenner was the leading scorer in the Capitals, rookie, in the Capitals preseason. And I think it was Terry Murray calls him over in the skate. And he goes, uh, he's telling him he's going to get sent to Portland. And, and Jenner and I were, were really good friends. So I knew he was hurt. So I'm just skating around. There's a couple other guys skating around. But they're, you know, they're bats. And I'm just, okay. I'm just nervous as hell. Hey, Terry, you know, I'm a vet. Just call me over and tell me, right? Mm-hmm. So he calls me over and he says, uh, okay, Brad, uh, uh uh, David Poyle wants to see when we get back to to Washington, and I'm sitting there basically going, uh, you know, if you're sending me down, just tell me. Like I'm not a I'm not some you know, twenty year old, right. twenty one year old, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't say that, but I did when I got to see David. Yeah, I basically walked in the office and talked about sticking your your foot in your mouth. I just <laughs> said to David, you know, I really enjoyed this. It was awesome. I know I'm going down to the American Hockey League. And, I want to thank you for all the opportunity. And Dave just cuts me off and he goes, Brian, I called you in here to see if you want to sign with Washington. <laughs> so I was like, okay, insert foot. Yeah. And they were going to send me down. Yeah. Like everybody was kind of shocked that I got sent down because I was having the most fun I can remember since the first five or six years of pro. Right. It was just because I didn't care. Yeah. I, I was having fun. I played loose. Uh, everything was flowing. And, and, and then I got sent back and, then I go to Portland, and then I have this freaking record-breaking penalty minute thing against, how was it? I can't remember the team, but Mark Major was the player. That, that was going to be my, 
that's my next question about the game. Yeah. Providence. So, Providence. And then he jumped into the penalty yep. box and we had to fight in the penalty box and all that crap. And the next thing I know is I'm called up to the Capitals uh, at the end of, in the beginning of November. Yeah. And, uh, but that, 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 you know, that was just kind of like, Portland was awesome. You know, you, you know, you, you, you know, when I look back in retrospect now, you know, you got Barry Trotz as your coach, Paul Gardner, and we got great staff, great staff, and Tommy Bright as our owner, and it, it just, uh, Godfried was, Godfried Wood was a part owner. We just had a really good group, and when I did get called up, I, I, I was like, all right, I never saw this coming, right? Um, but I was all good for it. I, you know, whatever the, whatever the ride lasted for, the ride lasted for. And unfortunately, when I went to Washington, started off really well, and then I got injured again. And I never recovered from the injuries and uh, consequently got sent back. When you got sent back, um, now we already spoke about Killer, and, and him and I are very close. By the way, he had rotator cuff surgery today, he's, uh, yesterday. He's doing uh, doing very well. He said he's in a bit of pain, but uh, surgery was a success. So uh, He just got engaged too, didn't he? Yes, he got engaged two days yeah. ago, yep. Um, yeah. Another guy you played with who I, uh, I'm very friendly with and I'm a huge fan of, Kerry Clark, Sharky. Now, oh, I, Sharky. I don't know how many guys played with both Kerry and Wendell, uh, but having you and Sharky and Killer on the same team, uh, that first season was uh, the Islanders had to actually move their farm team to the IHL. So that was the first mm-hmm. first year I did not have an AHL team to root for based on the Islander affiliation, and I actually had adopted Portland as my team. So I, I am well aware of a lot of the stuff that you're talking about with Portland because that was the team I chose to follow. But I, I got, you know, you already spoke about Killer. I'm just wondering if you have any memories about Shi also. Oh, God, Sharky was one of the guys, such a great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he must be the most unlucky guy in the world, that guy, though. Yeah. I don't know if it was two or three times Sharky was going to get called up to an NHL game. And every game, I have to ask Sharky. I think he got injured the day they were calling him up. Oh. I think it was two or three of that times that happened with Sharky. Because I remember Sharky saying he just wanted to play one game. His dream was to play one game against Wendell. Yeah. And, you know, obviously it didn't happen. But you know what? He, he when he first came to the island, as I laughed my ass off, we, we were in uh, having inter-squad games, and all of a sudden I'm looking out there and I see this guy doing a moonwalk yeah. down mm-hmm. the middle of the ice, and I, and it's Sharky. And I like I didn't know him at the time, and I go, oh, well, you got to get credit. Yeah. Like, Holy shit. You know, <laughs> whatever. It takes balls to do that one down the middle of the ice. And everybody was loving it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, and, and he, you know, him and Killer were such good friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jason Christie kind of been there too, but the, yeah. the, the 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 two guys that were real close were, were Sharky and, and and Killer, and um, really just salted the earth people. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm so glad I was very very. Uh, when I look back now, very privileged to play with a lot of the players I played, but. Boy, did I had a lot of time, and especially when we won the Gold Cup, we had some extreme, we we oh my God, we had some fun. We had some fun, but that, that whole team, that was such a good freaking team. But Sharky, uh, the only thing I remember with Sharky is is that I, I wish we could have got this one one NHL game. That's all I cared. Yeah, that, that would have made everything. But that would have made things great. That would have been his dream. When you uh, did get called up to Washington, you played for a coach who was uh, your former teammate. Uh, you mentioned him earlier. Uh, what was it like playing for Schoenfeld? 
Oh, Shoney, oh, he was intense. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Even when you went to training camp, Shoney was, uh, when you got on the treadmill or whatever it was, if you got to a certain elevation or certain part in the condition, he'd be out there yelling at the screen. He was like, wicked intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was all into conditioning and in shape and stuff like that. Um, you know what? It, it's easy because Shoney, uh, I saw Shoney when I was in Boston, so I got a little bit of him. Mm-hmm. But you have to admire guys that, that didn't take days off and worked hard. And when they're preaching it and bragging it and you were part of, of – what they were and you got to see it even though it was at the beginning and the end of his career yeah um you just go all right well you know what i can play for a guy that um that you know is walking the walk uh, he talked to talk but he also walked it and when you see a guy like that it's easy for me to play for guys i mean i was generally always a guy that worked very hard mm-hmm. um but there's a difference between working hard you know physically and then working hard physically and mentally so you know, as I was saying, I always worked hard, but when your heart and your passion's not into it, uh, you can question all of that. Yeah. Uh, but with Shoney, it, it was always a challenge, you know, to, to, to be in the best to be in the best shape you could, because you knew you you, you knew you were going to get challenged by him all the time. So it, you know, yeah, Shoney Shoney was a, a guy that you you had to be ready and prepared to, and understand that you better be in great shape if you were going to be playing for him. Yeah. And now, um, talking, going back to the uh, the Calder Cup run, one of your biggest rivals, uh, if I remember correctly, the games were always very violent games, was against Albany. Uh, you guys had a tough team, they had a tough team, and if I remember right, that, that series, that first year uh, in Portland when you won the Cup, that series with Albany in the playoffs was pretty pretty violent, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh, it was crazy violent. Yeah. Um, that, a lot of injuries happened. Yeah, a lot of injuries that players played through. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I think Albany. You know, I believe we were favored to win it, uh, but Albany was going to. They were going to run us out of the building. Yeah. So and it and it took the guys like the the Jeff Nelsons and the Todd Nelsons and uh, Mike Boback and uh, you know, guys, Martin Gendron, they, they were going to have to step up to the plate and they sure in the hell did. We, we, we were a close friggin' Shal Picard was there. We grew. And I think Albany helped us more than, more than anyone like to understand the war we were going to go through. And uh, we were prepared for it all then. Am I remembering it right that they won the first game and then you guys won the next four? Yeah. I, that's what I thought. I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so definitely. And, uh, yeah. So, but the, but but that series was what might have been five games, but it was like ten. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, because because you finally, I think I remember Trotsy going. Now you have a taste or something like that, or mm-hmm. now you know what it's whatever or guardsy whatever. But but uh, uh, you know, you talk to anyone about that team. You talk to Trotsy. You talk to guardsy. You talk to anybody about that team. They'll also say the closeness of that team and how that team really came together. Uh, throughout the whole season, but uh, I think at times we were, we were still young boys, but we became men. Yeah. Uh, that you know we were of age of men, but in the in the circle of what it takes to be a man to play in, in the playoffs and what you have to do and the sacrifices and what you have to pay and and all the little things that go that are on you know that we don't speak of that are behind closed doors. Uh, there was a lot of guys with injuries after that series. 
your um, your last season in Portland, uh, Killer, I believe, had moved on. Well, he was with Washington, and uh, Sharkey had uh, moved on to the IHL. And um, you had guys like Rob Pearson, uh, Jason Christie was still there, Sean Selmser was there, and uh, Frank the Animal Bialois was uh, a oh, Portland Pirate. Uh, what are your memories of playing with the Animal? Well, Frankie was one of my best friends. Yeah. Uh, Frankie actually, when I went to Philly, he rented my house. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, oh, he was a he was a beauty. Yeah. He was one scary human But if you knew if you knew Frankie like I knew Frankie, yeah. you know, you wanted to be if you were straight up with Frankie, Frankie had no issues with you at all. Mm-hmm. But you have to. He has lived a, an incredible. A, a I would say a book. He should he should be writing a book on his life and the things he's done in his life. Um, but Frankie was that guy with the long hair. Mm-hmm. He was just jacked like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, what people should know about Frankie is he's, he's one of the nicest friend guys you'll ever meet. But there's a, one side of him that he'll rip your head off. Oh yeah. And, and but he was never a dirty, dirty, really dirty hockey. Like he wouldn't attack him with a stick. Cause Frankie just Frankie believed he just beat the little crap out of you, right? Yeah, there's no satisfaction. Um, and he became well, and and Frankie became a cult hero in Philly. Oh yeah. You know, mm-hmm. at one point I think Frankie one year was rated third most popular athlete of all sports in Philadelphia. I think it was. Um, yeah, he was right up there him. with Lindros in hockey, yeah, if not he was higher than head of Lindros. Yeah, mm-hmm. I believe. But Frankie became uh, synonymous with, the, you know, blue-collar people. Oh, yeah. That's who Frankie was. Like, you know, there was, so was I. Yeah. Uh, but Frankie was that, you know, the tough guy, that iron worker, that guy that freaking would go and do anything for, for his family, would do anything. I mean, he was just this a different guy than a lot of people know. Um, but people feared him. And I remember playing against Frankie when we were on opposite sides. And, and and I remember Frankie saying to me one time when we were friends, he says, you know, when you were in St. John, I think it was in St. John's, it was in St. John's, he said, I was going to kick the crap out of you. <laughs> I, I was going to kick the crap out of you, old man, but they figured I was too old or something like that, Frankie said. I said, well, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. One of the coolest, uh, one of the coolest things I ever, I, I've ever experienced when, uh, you know, I, I love going to American Hockey League games and, and uh, we went down uh, to see a game in Philly. And I, of course, wanted to see Frank, but I, I, I had never seen him down in Philly. I had no idea the cult status he had. And I swear within three minutes of the game starting, the whole arena is chanting, we want Frank. And I just got goosebumps, like, holy shit, this is amazing. And then, obviously, uh, you know, I ended up down there. We ended up living in Philadelphia for 10 years. And uh, just the way that, that the fans love that guy is just unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and 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 you know it's it, he's a very charismatic type person, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, you know he, <laughs> you know, uh, let's put it this way: like there, there, there's always stories that you that you'd like to tell, but Frank and I've had our own little stories of him and I hanging out and doing things and stuff like that. And that's for us. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it, it it's. To be around uh, Frankie, he had a, an aura around him that people just wanted to be part of him. Yeah. And, um, you know, I could be a guy like I was that played in the NHL for, for a lot of games, and then they got Frankie. That, that you know, I, I don't know. I kind of don't even know Frankie played any NHL games. Played a couple. Played a couple, mm-hmm. but you know what? But they know Frankie way more than they know me. 
and we played that tough role too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Frankie didn't do anything different. Frankie, people just gravitated to him. Yeah. And uh, you know, so when it's all said and done, uh, you know, I always consider Frankie a very good friend of mine, and uh, and it reminds me I need to get a hold of that guy one of these days again. Okay, good. I'm glad I could help you with that. Uh, how did you end up in Michigan? Oh, that was in Kalamazoo. Yeah, yeah, they had changed the name to Michigan K-Wings, but uh, yeah, Kalamazoo, how'd you end up there? I have no freaking idea. I'm trying to remember how I ended up there. <laughs> I mean, they, they went on a playoff run. You know, they were they were making the playoffs. Well, um, I was with Philly. No, that was the year later. This was before Philly. Uh, it was... Oh, I got loaned. Okay. I got loaned to them. Yeah. Yeah, I got loaned to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was Dallas Stars farm team. Yep, mm-hmm. And Ken Hitchcock, uh, well, not Ken, but it, uh, I ended up talking to Ken at the end of the year. I worked with a young defenseman, the Russian defenseman, Sergei Gusev, I think it was. Okay, yeah. He's a young guy, right? And, and they wanted me to work with Sergei, uh, so I took it on that I would go there. Mm-hmm. And I had a really good time. Uh, I, Claude, Claude Dewell was the coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met some great guys. Uh, and that's the greatest part about this game is that you, you get to meet. I know I've been to a lot of places, and I actually call myself a human suitcase, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't take any of it back for the adventures and the stories and the, the people I've met, not only on the ice, uh, in, in management and all that. I, I think you know, just people in general. Yeah. I, it's in different cultures from all over different parts of the country. Uh, but I enjoyed that immensely with with, with Claude and working uh, with, the, with the young defenseman. And I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was Sergei Gusev that I, that I played with. And, and we worked together. Uh, and I, I was just trying to help him, get him ready. Uh, as the, I think that's what their agenda was. Uh, I know it was because Ken Hitchcock came and talked to me uh, when it was all over down in the weight room. And he had brought it up. So, uh you know, uh, that that was a small-time thing, but I still was loving the game. I, I wasn't in any bad place. Uh, the, where I lost it completely was my last injury uh, as we go on to the next one was when I went to uh, Philly. Now, I was going uh, to ask you about that because you, uh, you signed with the Phantoms, I imagine, and uh, yeah. you only ended up playing three games. I assumed that this was a pretty serious injury. Well, I got my uh, – so we're in Hershey, and I went to the guy. I hit him twice in the same period, just crushed him. And the third time I went down, he went right into a chop block, and he severed my ACL and my MCL, and my meniscus was shredded. Oh, shit. So I was done and over with. But, but it, it, you know, I, I, I wasn't in the shape I wanted to be when I went there. Um, I was very disappointed because I got let go from Portland. Mm-hmm. I was from Portland. I went to Kalamazoo. Yeah. So yeah. – Portland, uh, that was a little bit discouraging how that all happened, but um, that's life. Because mm-hmm. uh, I love Portland. Portland was, is it all, I love Portland, Maine. Great place. Yeah. Um, but when it's all, uh, so when I went to Philly, I was kind of like, and when I got that injury, uh, I was done. Yeah. Even though I went on to play some more years, because I didn't want to end a career uh, that I couldn't play. So I wanted to. You know, I tried to come back off the surgery, or not the surgery. I tried to I think it was two months I spent trying to rehab it and learn to play without an ACL and MCL kind of thing. Yeah. Then finally couldn't do it. So, uh, and and that took that was the last straw. Mm-hmm. That was the last straw as a hockey 
the injury, and I was done. Uh, you know, I, I, I was just, I didn't, I didn't have it anymore. Uh, and when I finally got back and played, I was just on a different path. And the career was over, and um, you know, it was, it, it was a very tough thing. And I went on and played in WPHL or whatever it was, one more year or a lot. Yeah. Oh, I went to Vegas actually, played in the eye for a little bit. Um, a couple, a month and a half or so with Clinton Larchuk and Rod Buskins. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you about that that next season, because um, you you finished the year I think with Vegas. <coughs> excuse me, because you uh, played in the playoffs. Um, well, I didn't. I the, the the funny thing about it was Joe is I was playing for uh, in the WPHL Western Professional Hockey League for Monroe, Louisiana. Yeah. Because I didn't want my career to end on an injury. Mm-hmm. So I, it, Monroe was so much fun. I, I was there for four years as a player and coach then, then I yeah. coached him. Um, but I get, we, we're done with our season. We didn't make the playoffs in Monroe, first year franchise. And all of a sudden, like, uh, we're at the, we're having our year end party. It, it, it's about a week long. It, yeah. I mean, it's, we're, we're going pretty hard and heavy. And then all of a sudden I get a call from Bobby Strum. Mm-hmm. And would I like to come to Vegas? And I'm like, oh my God, you guys can't be like him. Really? So I remember, I don't know if it was Clint or Rod asked me, well, how many minutes do you think you can play? I said, guys, I've been going freaking hard out of this for a week. Yeah. The season was over. I didn't expect this. He says, well, you can play two or three minutes of shift or a game, right? And I said, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> I get there, and it's like 24 minutes later on the ice, right, my very first game. And I'm sucking wind like there's no tomorrow. I'm so freaking out of shape because yeah. I just flew out one day and came in. So I, I, I enjoyed playing for Clint and Rod. Uh, and Vegas was fun. It's, uh, I, I, you know, it, it was a good end. Yeah. To go back up uh, uh, and enjoyed, and really after that is when I knew, uh, you know, unbeknownst to me, I, my dad had always said I would be a good coach, and then unbeknownst to me, I went into was starting to work with all the young guys all the time, and it was just natural for me, so I went into the coaching, but. When, when I look back at the adventures, the stories, the the, the people and everything, Joe, that I've met and the people, that, you know, I wouldn't say I was by any means the most popular guy with a lot of people either. I know I pissed a lot of people in my life, but, you know, the game is the game. And, and you know, if you want to sit there and cry about the way a player was or wasn't than that, I had zero time. I mean, you did what you did. And that's just, you know... It, you know, if somebody wants to say, well, Brian, you were a total asshole to me when I played. Okay, sorry, but not really. <laughs> like, I, you know, uh, you know, we all, you know, that's just the way life was. And uh, in that time and era, and I, I think the one thing that was, I think you've heard me say it immensely, numerous times, but the respect I had for, for, for probably, you know, I, in some ways respect for all the players I played against. And some didn't like them. Yeah. I didn't care for him, uh, but definitely respected some parts of who uh, of the game itself. Well, we I have uh, first of all, thank you for this incredible amount of time you've given me. We're almost done. Uh, yeah. I have a few more questions, and then I just want to ask you about some of the guys that you coach. Um, a friend of mine, Jeff, he's a monster fan of yours. He wanted me to ask you, uh, in terms of fighting, was there one guy who gave you a harder time than others, uh, or maybe was it someone that didn't expect to give you a hard time um obviously every fight is a battle but i guess he was just wondering is there one guy who was uh not necessarily even would win the fights or whatever but for any sort of reason was it harder than the other guys oh god i fought too many of them yeah 
Uh, that's a really difficult question yeah. to answer. I, I would say that uh, um, I'd say Dave Brown. Yeah. Because Dave was really funny. Like Dave would have success against Bob Corbin, and I wouldn't. Yeah. You know. Um, and then Dave, I would get the upper hand on Dave, and then Dave would kick my ass, and mm. then I was just, how the hell is this going? Yeah. Like you know, where's my consistency? And and, and and you know what? It just proves that every night that uh, anyone who's willing to, to, to do what we were doing, yeah. Um, yeah. you're always taking a chance. It only takes one punch to get a guy the wrong way, and, and, and you're done. Yeah. Um, so was there one guy? I would say Dave. That was like we fought each other. Oh God, I wouldn't even know how many times. Way too many to count. Um, but I always thought I probably, you know, should have got him. And I would say, you know, dead even or one or two. Either way, for either one of us, depends who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. um, is it true that you competed in triathlons while you played? Yes. It, well, not while I played. Oh, okay. I trained. Okay. <clears throat> that had. That had to help your stamina and everything on the ice, I would imagine. It had to be yeah, I, I did the, in, in the Northwest, I did the Bud Light. I did two out of the three Bud Light shirts, mm -hmm. uh, tri triathlons, the smaller ones, yeah. not the big ones. That, that's too much for me. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> the training for it was amazing. Mm -hmm. And it was certainly, you, you know, the competitiveness. And, and then I remember doing them and I've uh, done some bike racing, uh, you know, in 10 speeds. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I love that. Uh, I love that camaraderie that uh, you have in uh, in triathlons and then these big races on bikes. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's a different experience, but you get to see. Uh, I'll give you one a quick one at the end of the one that world class uh, triathlete Mike Pig. I thought I was pretty strong, and I was off my bike, and I could just see the finish line uh, of the of the smaller one of the triathlons, and I was just going for my smile run, and he was already across the finish line. Oh wow. And then in that run, I was struggling because I, I did all the stupid things that you're not supposed to do in your first one, but I did them. Uh, I remember three little, uh, three older ladies than me, probably in their 40s, because uh, I was like 21 mm -hmm. or so. Um, I couldn't finish, and they stopped, and they ran in with me for the last uh, mile and a half or two miles. Oh, wow. And then they took off and did their own little race between the three of them. But those three ladies helped me. Uh, I thought it was amazing. Yeah, that helped me out. So yeah, so I, I did those. I did a little bit of everything. So, um, you've already said that you're not in for the accolades. So before I ask you about some of the players that you coached, I just want everyone to know that uh, Brian did win Coach of the Year uh, in two separate uh, two separate leagues as a coach. Uh, I won't ask him about that, but he did win to, uh, Coach of the Year twice. So a um, couple of players I want to ask you about. Uh, you already talked about having Ron Duguay play a game for you, but on that team in uh, Jacksonville, you got a couple of guys who are, have a pretty big reputation in terms of being tough, and that's Joel the Animal Terrio and Justin McPolin. Oh, Jesus. I haven't heard those <laughs> names in ages. <laughs> <clears throat> you know what funny is? Like, really... Really, really, uh, it's again, it's, it's a broken record, but really good guys. Yeah, Terrio was like a little more difficult at the beginning, but then, then, like everything turned, and and he was, you know, he was certainly a super. Ended up, um, it's just I think sometimes you, you know, let's if you're to say every player is supposed to get along with his coach, this is not happening, right? right. Uh, but that wasn't the case with him. Yeah, it was just we needed to get to know each other. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, but Paul and Justin, yeah, and he is a tough son of a bitch too. Yeah, uh, they both were. Yeah, different, little different ways, but uh, 
Yeah, you know what? I haven't heard those names in a long, long time. And what? when I hear it, I just have fond memories of just listening to uh, just the way they were. Uh, super young. I'm going to hit you with a few others that you may not have heard, and none of them are known for their scoring. They're all going to be tough players. So hopefully the smiles continue. Uh, Monroe Moccasins, Jason Renard, and Carlin Nordstrom. Oh, Rennie and Nordy. Yeah. Yeah, Rennie I've known for a long time. I took Rennie in. Uh, he is another guy that's just funnier than hell. Yeah. Um, does some crazy ass stuff. Uh, tough. Um, we, uh, I got him. Uh, uh, I got him an American Hockey League deal in Monroe, mm -hmm. um, and he went up uh, just because he was tough. Yeah. Um, but he had that little, that little, you know, twitch in his eye too. That you had to watch. Yeah. Uh, uh, Carlin Nordstrom. Uh, he had an all-around game. Uh, he actually could score. Yeah. Uh, but Nordy, uh, when he lost his, when he lost it, uh, Jesus Murphy, he was, yeah, he's a big boy. Yeah, he's a boy. big boy. Yeah. And uh, they, they were fun. I, I can tell you, they both made me laugh. I still, uh, you know, chime in with Nordy once in a while. Rennie's out in my, in my part of the country here. I've talked to him in a while, but uh, we, we had some good times. We had some times that weren't so good, uh, Rennie and I, and uh, mm -hmm. then we got those all straightened out, but. When you run into a tough guy, you, you know, we kind of live on the edge once in a while. So you got to, you know, you have to understand that a little bit too. Think oh, yeah. we, we can get wired up pretty good, but we certainly had a good relationship. Uh, three guys in Columbus. One was your assistant coach, Gerard, who I believe is a legend down in Columbus, no? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Uh, work ethic, he's a god there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, uh, as he should be. His yeah. work ethic, his, his non-stop compete, battling, go to war with anybody. People knew that, recognized it. Uh, he worked with the team for years, and now he's moved on from it. But uh, phenomenal owners and Shelby and Wanda Amos. Um, that name does, you know, it's not familiar to most people, but John Amos is the guy who started up uh, Affleck. Oh, okay. That, yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, Shelby's dad. Um, yeah, so uh, a lot of lot of good a lot of good people. Uh, um, who's the other one that you said there? That Jerome was the assistant coach, and then two guys yeah. that played was uh, Roman Ender and Mitch Fritz. Oh, Fritz Ender. <laughs> oh, well, Roman. Oh, another guy that just you know what a fun. We had one tough freaking team. Oh yeah, Fritzy could kill you. Yes. You know, Fritzy, Fritzy could kill you when he got mad. Mm -hmm. Ruman was another one, uh, really soft, really soft-spoken. Yep. Oh, what am I saying? He's a loudmouth. Ruman's <laughs> soft-spoken. But Ruman was so funny. Yeah. Like, he had a phenomenal personality, um, tough as hell. He was. He had every one of his teammates back. Fritzy was the same way. Fritz was gigantic. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, yeah, God, they were they were good guys. They're they're really good guys. They were they were uh, they they uh, that whole team that I coached there at Columbus. Uh, we we, had, we we learned a lot that year. We started off three thirteen and one, and we ended up I think with eighty two points that year. Wow! Uh, and we had such a shitty start, but we 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 learned a lot uh, that year. Those players did, and I learned a lot about them. And I had just uh, you know we lost a few of the kids up to. Uh, American League team at times here and there, but uh, in general, uh, yeah, I couldn't be more proud of that group. That, that group really battled hard. 
another another guy who you really can't say his name without putting big in front of is a guy that you coach in Quad City, Steve McIntyre. Probably one of the hardest punk guys ever. Yeah. Like you could actually hear him when he hits somebody hit when he hits their face. Mac yeah. uh, uh, Mac, good old country kid, loves his hunting and fishing. Um tough as freaking hell now when he lost it that was a whole another planet yeah um and you know what uh ended up being not just a fighter but a pretty decent player and then he went to the oilers i believe yeah um and definitely had a, a couple years there if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. um uh but you know what there was ups and downs of peaks and valleys with him yeah and then he finally got to a place where i think he was uh you know trusting started trusting certain things certain people yeah. uh that were really good for him and and he got his confidence back and he found out that he could actually play and um that he was not just a fighter but he was a player too mm-hmm. um and so mac mac worked uh, once he got a taste of you know people had his back were in the corner you could trust him and he, he then he went on to play in a few years in the nhl and, and and i think that's all he was going to play yeah uh but got it and he did it uh, and he had good people in his corner and uh but he was one tough son of a bitch uh two players from the wings uh tyler willis and joel recklage joel was different yeah joel didn't know what he really was yet mm-hmm. uh so you know, Joel was tough and he was a gamer, but uh, he was real young when I had him. Yeah. Uh, Willie, oh, Willie, drive you nuts. <laughs> Willie, drive anyone nuts. Because he was, he could go at you. He could, he could piss you off. He could drop his gloves. He could play the game. Um, he, yeah, Willie was the, Willie was the consummate uh, agitator. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he could back himself up. Um, finally, last name I want to throw at you, and um, he's the guy that actually helped me. Uh, uh, he didn't help me. He did. He set this up between you and I. Uh, that's a guy we're both friends with, and that's Kurt Walston. And he was, uh, I think, an assistant coach with you in, in drum. Yeah. Is it Drumheller, how do you say it? Um, Kurt is a, you know, Kurt was your assistant coach, but when he played, he was a pretty wild guy. Uh, and I just want to get your thoughts on Kurt. And Kurt, if you're listening, I just want to say thank you for hooking this up. But uh, tell me what your thoughts are on Kurt. Uh, I'm going to keep it short and sweet, but uh, with Kurt, Kurt might be, out of all of my coaches that I work with, I would say Kurt is the one I trusted more than anyone. Yeah. By far. Uh, he was very good with the kids. Um, he's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, he told me some great stories. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't believe some of the stuff he's done. Yeah, oh, yeah. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, it was it's very hard for me to say that I never, not hard for me, very easy for me to say that when it came to Kurt, I always knew my back was being watched. Oh, and I was lucky enough to have that one or one other time. Uh, you get younger coaches and everybody's trying to, you know, get them, weasel themselves in there and, uh, you know, uh, I've had some guys that I that I wish 
I could have been better at the uh, judging, mm-hmm. but when I talk about Kurt, and the reason I do things for Kurt is because he would do anything for me, and I, and I would do anything for Wally. Yeah, a great man, great man. So yeah. the last question I ask everybody, um, you, you had an amazing career. Uh, I enjoyed researching this. Uh, did I forget anything? Did I, is something I should have asked you that I didn't? Oh, no, no. Yeah, it's, 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 I played for enough freaking teams. You got through most of them. That's pretty amazing. Well, I got through all of them, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, no, there isn't anything. But the only thing I see, you know, it's, I continue to stay in the game, as I was saying earlier, and I mean, I'm going to say it because I work for them. And, you know, so I work for the Maloney and the Maloney and Thompson Sports Agency. Mm-hmm. And your young defenseman there, Dobson. Oh, he's one of your guys, Noah Dobson? He's our, he's our client. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's so, awesome. That kid's yeah. very talented. Yeah, so, you know, I've been in it, and and, I, and, and the greatest part, you know, um, I wanted to work for some, I wanted to work for somebody that I that uh, when it, you know when it comes to agents I've seen enough of them there's some really really good ones out there but I don't need smoke blowing up my ass yeah I need uh, guys to 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 help get me where I need to be and there's different types of guys that do different things like I said some good ones out there uh, I don't know all of them by any means but I do know that uh, when I ended up working for this place uh, I like directness and honesty and. Uh, that's what I loved about this agency, and that's why I work for it. And then when we, you know, I, I get to I get to stay in the game, Joe. I get yeah. to, you know, we've got quite a few kids out here west that I get to work with, and that's that's a lot of fun and staying in the game. Uh, it's a little taxing as I'm getting a little bit older, but I'm not that old yet. Yeah. Uh, but as far as everything else, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, hopefully, it, uh, you know, hopefully you enjoyed it yourself too. Well, this is amazing for me. And uh, well, when are you going to come to the island and see Noah? Oh, I don't know if, if Andrew's going to let me go out that way. I hope one day he'll let me go out there. Yeah. Well, he can stay out west here in, in, in Canada and the states. So uh, I get to go back east to, to Toronto once in a while. So hopefully I'll get to, to you know the pandemic going on and yeah. everything right now, and that's everything's difficult. So hopefully things loosen up and everybody stays somewhat safe here in the next little while well this has been an unbelievable uh journey for me uh to go through your career with you and i appreciate your honesty and i appreciate uh just all your stories it was uh it was a great experience for me i I really uh i can't wait to publish this interview and have people listen to it because uh you've been an amazing guest and i really appreciate your time thank you so much well thanks joe thanks for having me on but all right have a great night colonel you too, right. Thanks again to the Colonel, Brian Curran, for giving me all that time. That was an absolute blast. The Colonel is one of my favorite Islanders of all time. Uh, thanks to the Colonel. Thanks to Kurt Walston again for hooking us up. I hope that you folks enjoyed that interview with uh, Brian Curran as much as I did in uh, bringing it to you because, um, you know, those old-time stories, especially you've heard me yammer on time and time again about how the way the game is played now to me, uh, we need stories like uh, Brian Kearns and uh, all the old school guys more than ever. So um, so it was my pleasure to bring that to you, and I really hope that you enjoyed it. So we're going to go from the old school to the new school next week. Uh, next week will actually be my first interview with a current player. His name is Yannick Turcott, and if you're not familiar with him, you should be. 
He is currently in the Islander system. He's played the last few seasons in Worcester with the Worcester Railers. Uh, he did have a cup of coffee with Bridgeport. Uh, this guy is as tough as they come right now. Uh, one of the toughest guys not in the NHL. And uh, his story is pretty good too. And uh, I'm anxious to, uh, to bring his story to you. There's a lot about Yannick that uh, I wasn't aware of before I researched this story. And uh, one of the things I'm most interested in is bringing uh, the perspective of a current player and a current player in a league like the East Coast League that uh, has un undergone some changes in the way they view physical play and, and fighting. So uh, it'll be interesting to hear Yannick's take on all of that. And that'll be, uh, that'll be brought to you next Monday. But until then, everybody be safe and have a great week. Take care. Mm -hmm.